Hi. You've reached the voice mailbox of American Hysteria. And you're wrong about. This is Chelsea. And this is Sarah. And we have a very special episode for you today. It's a two-parter. You can find the other part on American Hysteria. They're not linear parts. They're listen in whatever order you want parts. (laughs) In this episode, I tell Chelsea about my fears. And in the American Hysteria episode, I tell Sarah all about my fears. We love making both of these shows talking about the fears that we feel and the fears that society experiences. And we had a lot of fun making these episodes for you and talking about our dearest fears. Thank you for listening. Here's our show. I have a little message welcoming you to this very special episode, but first, a little info for you. This episode is a collaboration with our dear sibling podcast, American Hysteria, hosted by Chelsea Weber-Smith. And we are also collaborating with them on a holiday show at Portland's Aladdin Theater on December 6th. We are calling it a massive seance, and we are trying to connect with the spirits of the past and the future, release our 2023, let it go, and prepare for the new year and do it all together. We really hope we get to see you there. We also have a bonus episode that I recorded with Chelsea talking about urban legends, the concept within sociology that Chelsea and I love so much, and also urban legend, the underrated late 90s slasher movie. So you really can't go wrong. And that will be available on Apple Plus subscriptions and on Patreon the end of this month, which, as you can see, is coming right up. Happy Halloween, my friends. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Chelsea. Funny running into you at this abandoned mall. Oh, I wish. I wish we were (laughs) recording in an abandoned mall. Um, We're here doing another part to our series about our fears. I'm so excited. I I love telling you my fears, Sarah, and now I'm so excited to hear all about yours. And uh, I can only freaking imagine. I'm so excited to tell you my fears. (laughs) As someone whose job now is looking at moral panics and hysterias and you know, America's feelings getting ahead of our logical faculties, uh, as I do so much in making you wrong about like, it's also important for me to return and to emphasize when talking about this stuff that like, I'm a very fearful person. I'm not claiming to stand outside of the impulses that govern human behavior. I think really, Mm -hmm. I, I like to you know, observe my own behaviors to try and understand what we're dealing with as people. Absolutely. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you got for us today, Sarah? What what are we what are we talking about? I have like an opening montage, right. um, which is just to tell you some smaller fears from childhood. I remember as a kid, my paternal grandpa had like, I don't know, time life seeming books on like paranormal stuff. 
And I remember him trying to give me a book on psychic surgery and me not wanting it because it creeped me out too much. And then Mm. his feelings being hurt by that and my dad being upset about it because he had a bad relationship with his dad. Not that he would admit that at the time. And so it was like I had to take the psychic surgery book to heal the whatever. What is the psychic (laughs) surgery book about? Well, do you know about psychic surgery? Because I feel like I, okay, I feel like this came up in my cable TV viewing. And also I'll say that as an elementary school student, because I was born in 1988. So my elementary into early middle school years were like right in the golden era of like stupid cable TV programming. I would often sometimes just literally be too anxious to like not be like extremely nauseated and therefore feel unable to go to school because I was afraid I would throw up in front of other people. And so my mom was pretty permissive about that. And I would just like get to stay home and watch America's Most Haunted Hotels. Awesome. Yeah, it was great. And I learned so much. And look at me now. Look at me now. now. I'm using it. I'm using all that information. And how much algebra do I do? Thanks, nausea. And so psychic surgery, this also comes up in Man on the Moon, the Andy Kaufman biopic with Jim Carrey. I haven't seen it. Well, it's this basically this idea promoted by charlatans where if you have cancer or something, you go in and they like kind of massage their hands on your body. And the idea is that they draw the tumor up like out through the skin and then they show it to you and they're like, look, you're better now. And you're like, gee, thanks. And really what they have in their hand is like a piece of chicken meat or something. I have heard about this. I have heard about this. Yeah. Or like chicken organ, organ meat or something like that. Jim Jones also did this. Jim Jones loved a psychic surgery. That is so dark. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So your dad wanted you to learn about psychic surgery. My grandpa or did. Or your grandpa. And then I was part of this like weird, you know, paternal toxic love triangle. So the real fear there is like the troubled relationships men have with their own fathers, but then also psychic surgery. Okay, got it. <laughs> it's a secondary <laughs> thing. But I was into creeping myself out. I really liked Ripley's Believe It or Not. And like, I can't remember the author, but it, if I asked my mom who it was... She would tell me, wait, should I just, I'll just try and ask her right now. I'm going to call her. Do it. Call your mom. (laughs) Okay. You got screened. Oh, well. Yeah. (laughs) Damn it. Yeah. But there was this guy who was very popular mid-century and he had like a newspaper column and I think a radio show. And I remember reading a compilation of those columns that was in like the sixth grade class library for some reason you know how you would get you get like a weird book at school and be like where did this book even come from (laughs) and it was all facts like one night and this is actually one i later saw in unsolved mysteries one night a a church choir of like 25 people everyone for different reasons was late to church choir practice and on that night the church exploded (laughs) but no one was hurt because they're all late for different reasons it makes you think And as an adult, I'm like, yeah, it makes me think about how in a country with hundreds of millions of people in it, you almost have the statistical equivalent of infinite monkeys on infinite typewriters and like every possible thing is going to happen at least once. That's true. And also, could they have just lied? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean. 
mean, the church wasn't there the next day, so. I don't know. I feel like evangelical Maybe churches. the preacher was like, let's just not have rehearsal tonight. Yeah. And then when the church blew up, he was like, no, everybody, we did have rehearsal. Yeah. I mean, I feel yeah. like it's not unheard of for evangelical churches to create propaganda like that. But you're also right. Statistically, it's going to happen once in a while. Yeah. Just like when the exorcist premiered and lightning struck that cross and it fell into the <laughs> plaza i don't know oh my God. i've never seen proof that that really happened by the way but uh right statistically but it gets repeated yeah i mean this is the thing right that like the exorcist i can't remember if this happened with the exorcist it definitely happened with the omen which is about the antichrist that like people died while that movie was in production mm-hmm. and we're supposed to take that as proof that like it angered satan but like like two people who worked on pretty and pink died during or after right after that movie coming out and like that movie wasn't about satan at all not that we know of yeah (laughs) unless satan is james spader yeah well he would be a good satan in something Uh, though james spader in the 80s are you kidding me that would be hello a good satan movie (laughs) so yeah i loved just kind of creepy cable content ccc Mm mm-hmm There was a story that haunted me for years that was also from a book I got from like an elementary school book nook that it was about. If anyone knows what this book is, like comment on Instagram. But it it was this woman was in an asylum and she had a baby and she had been like meticulously pulling hair out of her head and making a giant braid that she was going to escape out the window with. And then on this one fateful day where the story picks up, they come in, the orderlies or whoever, and they take away her baby and they throw her braid on the fire. <gasps> yes. Wow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Because it's the thing of like, oh, my God, like someone has spent, you know, months over a year. The idea of like something being destroyed in an instant. Yeah. In that way, like that actually is a concept that really haunts me. Yeah, especially if it's something where you're working to somehow become safe or to protect yourself from something. And then just the easy way that that someone with more power can just like kick you right back down the hill again and you're back at the bottom. And that is very, very scary. That's really scary. I think a great work of horror fiction is Jack London's To Build a Fire. I didn't ever read it. It's wild. It's wild, man. Because that story is like, it's a prospector in the Yukon. He's alone with his dog who he treats very badly. So we, from the beginning, are not supposed to like him particularly. And he's also traveling alone in 70 below Fahrenheit. And there's, you know, this whole thing, reasonably enough, about, like, only a complete idiot would be alone in 70 below because you have zero margin for error. Yeah. And so he goes about trying to build a fire, and he, like, has some kind of initial minor fuck-up that starts a chain reaction of fuck-ups. And he's, like, very rapidly... I think he steps through shelf ice, this thing. Mm. And shelf ice is, like, thin ice on top of water. No. So he steps into water. He has to build a fire. But his body is like very quickly numbing up. And like the horror that I feel as I read that story is unmatched by most experiences I've ever had with like any kind of, you know, horror movie or like over the top or supernatural horror fiction, because it's like this just happened to people like this exact scenario or something very similar to it has happened to so many people like freezing to death is very real. Yeah. 
And I get that that's why a lot of the horror we choose to consume is more allegorical than that. Mm. But it's something that I find very compelling and grounding in terms of like, we are people and we are on the earth and there are just certain physical realities that dictate what happens to us. And that's kind of as, you know, in the episodes that I've done with Blair Braverman on um, the Miracle in the Andes and on the Dyatlov Pass incident, like there is also comfort to be found in the idea that nature doesn't wish you harm. Yeah. It just doesn't wish you anything. Yeah. The Indifferent Stars Above is that Donner Party book that is my favorite. Yeah. It's, it's the same same thing it's like i mean it's like like, oh i'm made of gas a million miles away i can't really do anything which is so comforting and so terrifying there isn't an animate well we don't know i guess i'm I'm an agnostic but there may not be any animating force to the universe that wishes you well nor is there one that wishes you harm and that that is you know it's both comforting and terrifying at the same time yeah 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 I don't really waste time with simulation theory because I think it is a silly waste of time based on a 12-year-old's understanding of the world. (laughs) I I get the viewpoint that when we're trying to conceive of God, right, and like if there is a rational mind at the center of all this or if there is like a thinking mind at the center of all this, like what is it like that like a sadistic 14-year-old inbreeding their sims is kind of what comes to mind. (laughs) Locking him in a room with no door. Like God just felt like torturing his sims, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas I am terrified that we're living in a simulation. (laughs) Oh, okay. No, it's a waste of time. Not to to be insulting to your conspiracy (laughs) theories, but yeah. I don't want it to be true i just feel like as we get closer to ai i'm like is this just the cycle repeating itself Mm. into infinity Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) we got real big real quick with our (laughs) fears straight to simulation theory well we did and with good reason you know we should be afraid of all this it's like victorians being like you know all this sit in the air this could have ramifications and they were so right and these are scary things but to get to like an iconic scary thing chelsea I have never truly watched the Max Headroom signal intrusion video. Mm. And some of you just went, and some of you were like, what? But Mm -hmm. this is a video that like, for whatever reason, I when I first found out about it, and I'm sure it was from finding a list of creepy Wikipedia articles on like Jezebel or something, and then trying to read all of them. I found it so unbearably creepy that I watched it, but only with the sound off. Wow. And kind of like leaning away and I don't normally do that but I find it so unsettling and I would love for you to you know I don't want to put you on the spot because I can I'll bring in like you know dates and everything as we need them but like what what was this thing yeah so from from what I remember this happened in like the 80s and it was a tv station that was essentially hijacked by this group of people who I think were maybe never identified. And yeah, we have no we don't know who did this. And it's been like 35 years or more. (laughs) It's just this creepy video of this guy wearing the Max Headroom mask, which was you're going to have to explain to me what that actually was. Max, I don't really understand the lore of Max Hedrin, but he was a character who I don't know his origins, but he was just like a popular kind of mascot guy in the 80s, kind of like Spuds McKenzie. But mm-hmm. like, and he was an actor who was like, 
kitted out in a way that made him look pretty uncanny. Yes. And let's watch a Max, like an, uh, an actual Max Headroom okay. ad. One, two, three. Hi, Max Headroom here with... This is my guest. He like glitches. I heard you were big time in the old pop is. <laughs> well, I'm gonna take that as a no comment. So, nitty gritty time. What I'm talking about, and you're not, is that more people prefer the new refreshing taste of Coke over Pepsi. Sweating? So like very uncanny and like a mixture of like the uncanny valley and like the uncanniness of like technology. So Max Hadream is played by Matt Frewer, who was the neighbor dad in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay, great. <laughs> and so he's like canonically a computer generated guy, but he's actually an actor in makeup and the kind of he he's meant to glitch. As he's talking to you, he's sort of uncanny. I think this character was like very divisive from what I can tell. Mm. And a lot of people were like, okay, that's enough Max Headroom. Okay. He was in ads. He had a TV show briefly. He looks sort of like a computer simulated newscaster, I guess. Yeah, like almost a Jay Leno like. <laughs> so that's Max Headroom. And then the signal hijacking incident was, yeah, a, a guy in a Max Headroom mask. And I heard about this on Wikipedia one night and read about it and watched the video with no sound and I guess found it so unsettling. And Chelsea, I think today's the day. Yes. And we should watch it. Okay. All right. Are we going to do it? And also, I think they burst in on an episode of um, Doctor Who, which is just disrespectful. Oh, yeah. that's That must have been intentional. Okay. You can count us down again. Yeah. One, two, three. That is the only way to learn. I'll get you a hot drink, mate. He's a freaking man. Jesus. Yeah. Weird. Your love is fading. Subtitles just say humming the tune to Clutch Cargo. <laughs> My files. Wow. I gotta say, I find this a lot less scary yeah. than I used to. And that was <laughs> to it. Talk to wow. Yep. I mean, it, it is creepy, but I what I didn't realize is how much a part of it the creepiness of the Max Headroom mask is. All right. Well, what did you experience? Like what what was going on while you were watching? I mean, first of all, the incoherence of. Well, OK, one of my first thoughts and I knew that they did this, but I hadn't really been thinking about it, is that they have like these wavy lines behind him, which is clearly like a pretty spot on imitation of the actual Max Headroom commercials. But it's someone like tilting what looks like a piece of corrugated metal back and yeah. forth. And that actually, from the beginning, then made it not that scary to me because you're like, this is like a Max Headroom fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's something very unsinister about being like, we have to do the background, though. What this like kind of reminds me of for some reason is, are you familiar with like the numbers station? Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I think that might still exist, but that there are certain like stations that you can find on the radio and it's just a woman reading random numbers 
with like static in the background like forever and it's like an automated thing obviously Mm -hmm. and I don't really know like I don't think people really understood what they were for or why there's like a lot of conspiracy theories about them but you know it's just this sort of like the creepiness of the unknown Mm -hmm. reason that something like that would exist like what makes the Max Headroom thing creepy is just kind of like the why of it yeah that's really strange and and not understanding why uh, like they didn't really seem to have a particular message. Like I guess this was just kind of like Edge Lord Chaos magic mm-hmm. or something. Totally. But uh, but yeah, I mean, what did you find so scary about it before we actually heard the full audio? Part of it maybe has to do with the fact that TV isn't a part of my life anymore. Like it is, but it isn't because like when I was growing up, you would turn on the TV. And then whatever was on, like, was what was going to happen. And now we, our relationship to media is actually, I think, completely different because we, we choose a streaming service and then we choose a thing to stream. And we're not all watching the same signal that can then be hijacked by some random Max Headroom enthusiast. And I think the vulnerability of a signal hijacking is something that, like, I don't really feel anymore because it's not something that could happen. Yeah, I think of... The Oscars, right, is like one of the only, you know, the Oscars slap in in the lineage of the Oscars streaker. But yeah, I mean, the only thing I can like think of recently is the Love is Blind live stream finale that happened like a few months ago. What happened with that? I mean, Miranda and I are like big Love is Blind people and it was just the experience of everyone coming to watch something live on Netflix, which was like not really anything that they'd done before. Maybe they'd done it once before, but it was like a huge deal. And like Love is Blind is like a massive show. And so it was like Mm -hmm. so many, 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 many people coming to watch it. And we're just sitting there and it's just like, this site is under construction almost like five you know it's like it just we kept waiting and waiting and there kept being like these tweets and announcements that it was eventually going to start and it was like two hours later that it started and then it was like really like Woodstock too (laughs) exactly (laughs) and then it was like really weird because the mics were picking up people in the control room so it was just like watching something that's supposed to be so shiny and so perfect yeah kind of like falling apart at the seams and it was like I mean it was really exciting I wouldn't have had it any other way you know (laughs) even though it was like I've been here for two hours and everyone's so mad and I was just like thrilled that we were all having an experience together (laughs) yeah that's nice but you know you just don't get like you don't get that very often anymore where there is that vulnerability, um, whether it be to just technological issues or something as weird as a pirate signal hijacker. You know, like the, there are facts that I love that just like are from another time. And one of them is that like, I think when they aired the Miracle on Ice in uh, the 1980 Olympics, the hockey game, it was broadcast in either the US or Canada before the other country. So you had like, I, from what I recall, like people having to relay the information personally. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So the Miracle on Ice, the miraculous, extremely lucky American victory in the uh, 1980 hockey game in the Olympics was broadcast live on Canadian TV, but held back for prime time on American TV. So like 
you could learn what had happened, but only by talking to a Canadian. Oh, scary. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I was just in Canada. They're all, that's so nice to be in Canada and not feel the immense crushing weight of the American landscape, but that's neither here nor there. I assume there are plenty of Canadians who are like, hey, we're being crushed as well, you know. And I know you are, babes. I know. I know. So, okay, so I've like actually made a major fear less scary to me, and that's really exciting. Another thing I find very scary consistently, and this is used to great effect in signs and the Blair Witch Project. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can, you know what I'm talking about. Signs and the Blair Witch. I just watched Signs recently, and it scared the shit out of me. I hadn't watched it in a long time, and Miranda had already fallen asleep, and I continued to watch it, and it was really... um upsetting to me (laughs) i've never even seen the whole thing but i have seen the part where they're watching a video of a child's birthday party Mm -hmm. where one of the aliens that they're looking for like walks very quickly across the frame yes very scary Mm -hmm. and that absolutely scares the shit out of me and i think he kind of looks over while he's walking maybe Mm -hmm. okay so i want to say And this is a show we've talked about. I loved and love the Disney Channel show So Weird. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing show. It's about a girl who uh, is traveling around America with her mother, Mackenzie Phillips, (laughs) on their band's bus, along with her brother. And I think the like tour manager's son, Clue, played by Eric Von Detten, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. And in every episode, they're in a new part of America that looks like Vancouver, B.C., and they have to solve a regional paranormal thing. And it's very based on the X-Files. Fee is trying to connect with the ghost of her dead dad. Mm -hmm. That's his Samantha Mulder. But it's also just like a fun Monster of the Week show. But I think that when I was a kid, I loved it, but it genuinely scared me a lot of the time. And there was also in the opening sequence, there was like a little clip or just an image of the Patterson Gimlin Bigfoot film. And I like could not watch it. Wow. I would like cover. I would like look away. Wow. OK. OK. And for people who don't know, a lot of people are going to realize they do know what it is when you describe it. But like, what is this piece of Bigfoot media? I mean, all it really is, is like Bigfoot walking kind of in the distance or what we are supposed to believe is Bigfoot. And he's kind of just got like this long stride with his arms up, like walking, like if he was like fast walking in my, this is my mm-hmm. memory. He's like a fast walking mom from the eighties. <laughs> and right at the moment or like right at the moment that he's kind of like dead center in the clip, he turns and looks at the person with the camera and that's yeah. basically my is that your general memory of it it's been a while yeah okay and then it's kind of a casual lope and there's like a lot of mysteries about this film I think still like I think at least one of the guys who made it said later that he had made it but I think there are things we don't know like I, I think there's maybe some degree of disagreement about who's actually in the suit mm, okay and stuff like that I'm not sure but you know it's like information gets lost to time and then you can use that to support your theory that right. like no it really is Bigfoot but that video was so terrifying to me as a kid and I think okay. again this is something that like seems pretty benign really but I think was became such a part of the American consciousness because there is something very creepy about it. Yeah, there is. And found footage horror movies really rely on this something 
that happens to you when you know you're watching for something scary, but what you're watching is very boring. Like you're in some kind of a heightened state where like, it's like adding salt, you know, food tastes better, scares, scare, scarier. It's like we were, what we were talking about in the other episode where you like context actually can like twist the way that you're perceiving like your own vision. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you do see, the Bigfoot look over, and that is the scariest part. It is. And then the the Blair Witch thing is like, and I just, I love this part so much. I wouldn't change anything about it where they run out of the tent. This is kind of like a part where things are really coming to a head. Like the the Blair Witch is like beating their tent with sticks. Really, you know, the director's friends. Mm-hmm. but And they, they run out of their tent And Heather's got the camera and she like whips around and she's like, what the fuck is that? What Mm -hmm, the fuck is that? mm -hmm. And you can't see a goddamn thing in the movie. And I don't think and you were supposed to be able to. But I like that it didn't work out. Yeah, because it was actually someone dressed in like all white, I think, covered in like a white stocking and was just like sprinting. So that's like real fear in Heather's voice, as we've talked about many times. (laughs) But yes, it is. It's the monster problem, I guess, in a way where it's like you don't see the monster the thing you're imagining is always going to be much scarier and you're right bigfoot in this video is doing the walk that like people do when they have to get go into target for just one item mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it's very human it's a very human walk yeah because i will say when i was a kid bigfoot was one of my major fears like if you'd asked me when i was 10 years old like sarah what are you most afraid of there's a good chance i would have said bigfoot Wow. And we lived in Hawaii, so... (laughs) That didn't really make sense. So why do you think you were scared of Bigfoot? I think there is really an element in a lot of what we're talking about to, like, humans seek to know so much and for anything to evade our understanding is kind of upsetting to us. Mm -hmm. And I think that was part of it. That makes sense. And also just the idea of, like... And it's funny because I always remember the story I read once about, like a kind of friendly Bigfoot encounter and I wanted to believe that Bigfoot was friendly but for some reason I guess felt sure that he wasn't. Well that's fair you know I actually got to go as part of working for the podcast Euphemet uh, with my friend Jim Perry and we went and kind of shadowed a Bigfoot hunter Mm. named Brian, who was really wonderful and we like went up into the woods of Vancouver BC and he showed us like all the trails and the places that he had heard Bigfoot and he was really into the fact that Bigfoot like communicated using like these runic symbols that you know he could find in stick shapes on Hmm. the ground Hmm. which of course like for me I would call that confirmation bias like he Mm -hmm. he didn't because there's always going to be sticks on the ground and there's always going to be symbols that you can interpret but he'd created like this entire alphabet and it was really really meaningful to him and I have to say it's like that seagull that fell in love with a statue of a seagull yeah 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 and I mean it was like so meaningful to him and it like clearly was like a big source of comfort like he was not scared of Bigfoot like Bigfoot was his nice. his friend and his like spiritual Aww. cohort you know and like but what I will say about it is like skepticism aside he like was very much to me and Jim he was very much like 
you kind of have to get in the spirit of it, right? Like, mm. you know, and we were working as part of a paranormal podcast, so we were already in the spirit of it. We weren't coming in as skeptics, like that's not Jim's show at all. And it was like we were totally stricken as we we're driving up into the woods. Him mm. and I are looking at each other like, I feel something, you know, like mm. I feel yeah. different. I feel a change come over me. And I think that that right there is kind of the the special sauce with all the fears we're talking about is like when you can get it, it's like you yeah. get into that space where you can accept things as creepy and you like suspend that disbelief and you do have experiences you have like embodied physical experiences no place more embodied than a freaking forest i would argue yeah oh yeah and and in a way it feels like bigfoot is like the spirit of the forest and actually i just did a corn maze where one of and you know how like in corn mazes sometimes you can like answer questions and it'll tell you which way to go if you get like a trivia thing right oh my god i've never seen that in a corn maze but that's really fun yeah, I really like it because I know a lot of trivia and I really have terrible spatial reasoning. <laughs> it's your only hope. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, my God, thank God there's like something I know how to do. And so one of them was like, when did Bigfoot, you know, start showing up in the news or start showing up as a figure a lot? And I was like, I know the answer. It's shockingly late. It's like 1958. Mm hmm. Because wasn't this like it was on commercial logging sites that people started theorizing Bigfoot? Wow. Or like, you know, that there had been Bigfoot-like figures, you know, in all kinds of folklore, you know, historically. But that that was when 20th century white Americans came up with our vision of Bigfoot. Like he was some kind of like protector of the forest? This is from the History Channel website, which I trust medium. (laughs) (laughs) And this is by Becky Little. Thank you, Becky. What exactly are the origins of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch legend? In 1958, journalist Andrew Genzoli of the Humboldt Times highlighted a fun, if dubious, letter from a reader about loggers in Northern California who discovered mysteriously large footprints. Maybe we have a relative of the abominable snowman of the Himalayas, Genzoli jokingly wrote in his September 21st column alongside the letter. Later, Gonzoli said he'd simply thought the mysterious footprints, quote, made a good Sunday morning story, but to his surprise, it fascinated readers. In response, Gonzoli and fellow Humboldt Times journalist Betty Allen published follow-up articles about the footprints reporting the name loggers had given to the so-called creature who left the tracks, Bigfoot. And so a legend was born. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is, I mean... I don't know. It makes sense in like a folklore sense for sure, where it's like the manifestation of uh, of the forests, you know, retaliation or it's like attempt at creating a being that will stop human destruction. It's like very. Yeah, I love it. I didn't know. I didn't know. Isn't that great? Yeah. And they apparently quote loggers blamed acts of vandalism on Bigfoot convenient (laughs) and he just you know kind of passed into public consciousness and in the way we now see him um and yeah it's kind of like gremlins in world war ii it seems like where like if if you're working with machinery like stuff is going to go wrong either because Mm -hmm. someone is uh you know fucking with you or not maintaining it properly or just because these things uh happen and it's like you need a person we need personifications of the forces in our lives i think yeah I mean, I would like to know what 
being is tangling my cords. <laughs> Please, who's taking my socks? <laughs> Who is it? And then my my third thing I wanted to talk about for things that scare me as we dive down into what causes our fears. I'll also say, speaking of the forests of the Pacific Northwest, to paraphrase Stephen Fry, there's nothing better than waking up in the forest and there's nothing worse than going to sleep in the forest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like both. <laughs> I know. It is like candy for my anxiety. If I get into a certain frame, every time you hear like a crick or a crack or like mm-hmm. a twig break, you your brain can easily interpret that as something scary headed towards you. And the thing about being in the woods is that they're made out of wood, famously, and twigs are going to break all the time, yeah. all night long. All night long. Yeah. And like just little tiny sounds that you can grow entire monsters out of, which is a metaphor. Yeah. I love stories on like like camping subreddits and stuff that people tell about like something basically like I heard someone walking around my tent all night long and it turned out to be like a gopher eating under my head. Oh, I got it. Do you want a story? <laughs> yes. Okay. This feels relevant. So, okay. I'm like 10 or 11, maybe. Yeah, I'm like 11 and uh, I'm camping with my dad, my stepmom, my basically my brother Johnny and uh we are like drifting off to sleep and basically we have pulled off the high like a, a highway or forest service mm-hmm. road just down a dirt road because you know he didn't want to pay for camping so we just mm-hmm. kind of like you know parked in a random place and all night teenagers were like partying around us and like getting stuck in the mud in their cars and like screaming and drinking and it was like you know unnerving but it was okay and then at some point as we're drifting off to sleep we start hearing footsteps coming up to the tent Mm. and my dad is asleep and so is my stepmom and I'm like dad 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 you know how a dad sleeps so he won't yes. wake up oh my god and finally i'm like dad and then he's just like what and then i was like <laughs> listen and then we like all were quiet and we could hear the footsteps like walking around the tent and uh. i am this is like one of those times where my knees are shaking like that's mm-hmm. when i know that i'm really 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 scared as i'm like a mm-hmm. little like italian puppet and my knees <laughs> like shake and clatter together and um and yeah he like we just heard this happen and then my dad was like okay and then out of nowhere pulls a pistol and oh my god. <laughs> bursts out the front of the tent and we're like oh my god and then he's just gone for a hot minute and then comes back and he's like there's nothing out there and oh, then we go geez. back you know we start to go back to sleep and it happens again and it happened Uh like multiple times and and Mm -hmm. he went out there and we just never uh never figured out what it was and you know i mean that's the memory as it stands in my 11 year old head and Mm -hmm. uh i will keep it that way (laughs) i maybe i'm exaggerating i don't know but it was definitely like i will tell you my knees were knocking together and it was definitely a pistol (laughs) yeah and do you think there was someone walking around or could it have been like something that sounded like that? I mean, I think also, by the way, this was all compounded by the fact that when we first pulled into this like uh, dirt road, we went 
far down the dirt road until we got to the end where, again, in my memory, there was an old house with a man standing there looking at us holding a pitchfork. (laughs) And we were like, we'll just like flip a U. And then we went like halfway back and camped. So it's like Hmm. there were like many things happening Hmm. that could have set this mood. But it's like it had to have just been an animal. You know, I've we always were like it was ghosts. That's what we mm-hmm. settled on. But like, why were they haunting my tent? <laughs> right. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I love camping. I also think there's something really nightmare fuel about it because it's like you have the illusion of security. You have protection from like the elements kind of and from rain and stuff. But like nothing protects you from the rest of the world but a thin layer of nylon it's such a joke <laughs> it's nuts and the, and so it's, you have this like and it's kind of weird it feels like tents are kind of like that we don't know how to process them because we have this feeling of containment and security and like this cozy little home and we're warm and dry or at least kind of dry in there while it's like soppy outside so like we feel protected but like if anyone violent came along you know be it like a scary person or a bear or whatever then like the tent is nothing no what is the tent see yeah yeah i'm like pretty anti-tent i'm either like under the stars or in my car or truck (laughs) with my mattress and i don't know there's something about a tent that i mean a you wake up you're sweaty it's hot it's gross. Although I will say I have a tent that has a mesh that's mesh. And I love that because it's like I want to see I want to be able to see mm-hmm. while I'm inside of the thing. Like I, I feel like yeah. not being able to see is not smart. That also contributes to the feeling of vulnerability. Yeah. Right. Because the reason you don't know who's walking around outside your tent is because you can't see outside your tent. Exactly. But if I had a mesh tent, I would see and maybe that would be better. Maybe it would be worse, but at least I would know. My mom has one of those for her cats, so they can still enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, I wouldn't be wondering two decades later what the hell that was, you know? That is a scary story to me because it is like, it's kind of the Schrodinger's cat thing in a way for if I can, you know, feel free to misunderstand math for a second here. (laughs) Where like, if you don't know who or what is out there, if anything, then like it could be an axe murderer and it could be a terrier and mm-hmm. you just and it's always all things that it could be until you see it yeah it's all but it's always either an axe murderer or a terrier <laughs> <laughs> or but a terrier yeah. with a tiny little axe <laughs> yeah <a> little paw <laughs> why not both <laughs> but yeah i mean that's like a bigger it's obviously like a bigger metaphor for so many things that we cover too is like it's either an axe murderer or a terrier you know it's either like the most frightening thing that you could ever imagine or more likely it's nothing at all and uh, and also I think what both of our shows is about is like how we can at least within all this try and get more information from analyzing the American tendency to confuse axe murderers with terriers yeah and vice versa because we're like so it's 1982 We are prosecuting lesbians for daring to work in daycare centers. Mm -hmm. But go right ahead, father. You seem fine. Yeah, exactly. So camping. Camping is scary. I'm with you. I think I it's nice to have a to sleep in. uh, We went camping recently and I slept in my car and had the hatchback open. And it's like you it's it's very 
that's a feeling of security. Absolutely. It really is. And like, I'll, I never sleep better than when I'm like in my car with the hatchback open. It's like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I sleep great. Because you're like, you know, you're, you've opened yourself to nature, but you have an exoskeleton. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things humans really lack. I think that's why we love our cars so much, partly. We like to have an exoskeleton. Wow, that's really smart. Right? <laughs> that's really smart. I never thought of that, but like that's, I, yeah, it feels great. We also act more like insects when we're in our car. We're just like reactive and have no real empathy or soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we swarm, you know, we swarm mm-hmm. oh, around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we sure do. One thing that really creeps me out is a really big frog. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> of course, how could I forget? I just, I find it upsetting. Have you seen a big frog? No. <laughs> okay, so this is like, is there a big frog in some media or like, how Well, there will you... be like the Daily Mail, you know, how they have to like print every upsetting thing they can think of every day. <laughs> so they print a lot of stuff that definitely isn't news and... There was, you know, every so often I feel like the Daily Mail will be like, here's a picture of a Chinese toddler holding up a gigantic frog (laughs) that they found. And they're like the same size. And I just find there to be something incredibly menacing about frogs above a certain... Really, I think a frog, if it's bigger than a coin purse, I don't want it anywhere near me. I just don't. I don't blame this, but like I did grow up with family in Australia and so you then hear about cane toads which actually do sound very dangerous cane toads I think like if a dog eats a cane toad they can die like they're poisonous oh okay and they were brought over I think as some kind of like colonialist folly and then took over and I think it's like at least in the past was a thing uh, especially if you grew up on a farm that you would like you know just like kill a bunch of cane toads for your chores yeah okay well yeah they are big boys they're they're big boys yeah i gotta say sarah this doesn't scare me I'm not scared of these frogs. But that's so interesting. I mean, and it's interesting because i know that you and i have had this like running joke about how like where did all the tiny tree frogs of our childhood go because like I feel like every day I found a tiny frog there were just tiny frogs everywhere and I don't see them anymore sorry I just looked up really big frog and I'm gonna send you the results it's really horrifying are you gonna I know and every time I see a little frog I send you a video of it yeah I just want to emphasize a little frog there is nothing better than a little frog She just wants to say hashtag not all frogs. (laughs) Or like, you know what else I feel uncomfortable with is um, (laughs) koi. (laughs) Koi? Yeah. Like the fish? Yes. You know, I kind of get that. Look at the search results for really big frog. I sent you a link. There's a New York Post headline that says giant frog as big as, quote, human baby. (laughs) And I'm just going to let you look at this because I literally can't look at the frogs any longer like the the image is the child holding the frog like under its armpits essentially and when you see this frog stretched out you really start to see the resemblance to the human form <laughs> that creeps you really me do out. and that's creepy i also just to speak to how my brain works i'm drinking out of a big thermos <laughs> and i guess went to take a sip and my brain went what if there was a frog in here ew and it put me off my water 
No, I mean, that makes me feel like my water's going to be like slimy and I don't like that at all. Are you looking at giant frog eats tiny rodent? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is how it started with me and frogs. I remember reading like something in a National Geographic when I was a kid about it, like a frog that eats bats or like frogs that eat birds. And I was Whoa. like, no, that is not OK. And I was interested even at the time about why to me there was something so clearly monstrous mm. about a frog eating like outside of its place in the food chain, which I realize is kind of a, a construct, but like I did not like it. Frogs eat bugs. Were you scared of their like tongues that are like those 25 cent sticky hands? <laughs> I'm actually not afraid of the tongues, but I just feel like if frogs get any bigger, they're going to come eat the humans. That's interesting. Do you think it could have anything to do with like that, that idea that we're like creeped out and I mean I talked about spiders in our other episode and I think this stands for them too is like how they share very few traits in common with humans mm -hmm. so like they are by nature like very foreign to us which would make them you know more unnerving yes and with frogs maybe there is an uncanniness because you can see more of a human resemblance you can and also they start off as fish what the fuck is that that is weird <laughs> Well, not only that, Sarah, but they start out as like a slimy, like cloud of eggs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we probably basically, you know. Yeah, it's not fair. <laughs> we do too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's just, I don't know. There's something about frogs. I can't handle it. Never bring me a big frog. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> don't do it. Don't bring her a big frog. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I love a lot of animals that people generally don't like. And uh, an animal I love is the possum. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying get me a possum because I'm not responsible enough. But like possums mm, can't go wrong with I don't care how big that possum is. They will always be cute. I, a giant possum, still cute. Which is really funny because I was scared of possums as a kid because mm -hmm. one time my dog was going absolutely freaking nuts barking at like this little area under our house and my stepdad was like got a, sh a light and shined it under there and I was with him and it was just like you know the possum's face which Ooh, is like very yeah, human that is scary it's very yeah. human and I just remember he got a broom to try to get it out from under the house and I can still see it he was like poking at it and it was just like barely hitting it in the mouth and it wasn't going anywhere so it was just like it's like lips were just kind of like <laughs> being like poked by this broomstick <laughs> that's all I remember He's like, come get me, old man. Yeah, he's like, I don't think so. Oh, my God. See, that's just, I like that. Yeah, it's not scary in retrospect. Sarah, do you want to tell me about your final fear? I would love nothing more. And I will preface this by saying this is from the Jezebel Scary Stories contest, awesome. which is one of my favorite things. Do, do you read this contest? No. Okay, so I, I'm pretty sure they're still doing it, but for at least many years, Jezebel had an annual reader-submitted scary story contest, and the rules were that they had to be true, um, and some of them are paranormal and some are not, and I really enjoy reading them every year, and I also enjoy being a big stickler mm -hmm. about what I will like admit to being scared by, All right. because, for example, I've noticed that a lot of people who post ghostly encounter stories... It's like, I fell asleep and I woke up and I saw a ghost and I went back to sleep. 
When you're like sleep paralysis. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Or something, you know, and I'm not saying that you didn't see a ghost, but I'm just saying like for me personally to take that ghost story seriously, I need you to be wide awake when that ghost mm-hmm. shows up. Yeah. But there are some that have really creeped me out and stuck with me to this day. And the one that has the most is called A Little Hole in the Wall by someone whose username is 4,000 of them. Mm. And it's about someone who is working in news, moved to Cincinnati, rents a first floor apartment, has a big dog, is kind of settling into life there. And then one day comes home from shopping and the toilet seat is up. Mm. And she's like, well... The guy I've been hanging out with probably did that. So that's probably not anything. And then, you know, other little things start happening along those lines. And then she comes back from a trip and everything is covered in dust. Mm. And she's like, that's incredibly weird. But I have no idea what that's about. So I guess I'll just clean it up and deal with it. And... She's also moved in a bunch of furniture, including, quote, a huge yellow hutch, which it took me a while to figure out what that was. But I think it's like, you know, one of the pieces of furniture that we have like 50 different words for. So like a sideboard, a buffet, like an armoire. It's like a a big cabinet that you would like put like china plates in. So she cleans up the dust and things again, like calm down for a while. Pictures are arranged on a table. She comes back from a trip and all her food is gone. Just like all kinds of creepy stuff for a really long time. Mail disappears. More food. Alcohol disappears. Just like stuff keeps disappearing that she brings into the house. And so the story reads, Other stuff disappears over time. A collection of coins my dad has given me from the places he's visited. More food. Any drop of alcohol I buy. But nothing ever happens to me. No one breaks in when I'm home. There are no menacing figures at the window, no creepy feelings at night. The longer things are normal, the more it fades. I barely sleep. It makes everything feel even dreamier. And then one night, I'm getting dressed cute to go out. I use the blackness of the long windows to check my reflection. I put on my shoes and one turns white. It's dust again. It's not all over like before. It's concentrated around my huge hutch. I get out the vacuum and get to work, teetering in heels, but it's piled around the side of the hutch, which is hard to move. I turn off the vacuum, brace my legs against the couch, and push the hutch out toward the center of the room. In the wall is a hole the size of a man. The dust, of course, had been from the sawing. I have chills as I'm reading this. My company put me up in a hotel after that until I could move. My landlord let me break the lease. Later, during the process of getting a felony conviction, I learned that two men did all that stuff specifically to scare me, that they sat peeping through the gap at the back of the hutch for months. One lived in the apartment next door. The wall opened into a little pocket between the apartment stairwell and the basement. They hid it with plywood. My neighbor described it all for me in court, smiling at me. They watched me check myself out in the full-length mirror, cook meals, watch sad movies, flirt with guys on the phone, do sit-ups talk to my dog, have the occasional cry, go to the bathroom, everything. They kept a hoard of snacks from my kitchen in the wall to enjoy while they passed the time. My long kitchen knife was found in the wall, plus a boning knife I didn't recognize, but they didn't want to come in while my dog was home, and I was never without her. Every morning on the way to work for six months, I'd driven past a wanted billboard featuring one of their faces. I have never lived alone again. Ooh, yeah, yeah, (sighs) yeah. Miranda and I have been watching Frogging, P-H-R 
O-G-G-I-N-G, mm-hmm. which brings us back to frogs as well for you, which is like double the, the, the real theme is emerging. Yeah. But that's the phenomenon of someone. The reason it's frogging is like someone who hops from house to house, living in the house without the person knowing. So it's like a real mm-hmm. phenomenon. There's a whole true crime show about it. And uh, so sorry not to make your fears come to life. But generally, it's not quite so sensational as someone just enjoying watching you through the wall. That's like very urban legend, like yeah, babysitter and the man upstairs type of stuff, it feels like. There's something very primal about it. And we, we I think we also talked in that bonus about like, the home as a place where it feels eerier than in other places to be, you know, to be in danger because our home is where we have to try and trust that we'll be safe. We have to have a space where we can do that. And also with the story, you know, naturally I have like tried to find news about it because this is described as happening in Cincinnati and couldn't find anything. And I feel like that, I don't know, that doesn't really make the story more or less real because that is the kind of like I can see very easily two guys doing that and also that being considered like not terribly newsworthy yeah yeah it's it's totally possible and I mean was it presented as a real story even though it's from like yeah the rule is that you have to submit real stories although you know god knows people have have tried to circumvent that but I mean that is it's it, it's entirely possible that that happened. It's not something that will probably yeah. happen more than once a decade, you know, but I don't know. It's it's terrifying. It is terrifying to me to think about, I think. Because, and there's also this idea of like, you know, that women living alone are like, by definition, doing something either dangerous to society or to themselves or probably just both. Right. And the idea that like any freedom you have is highly conditional where crimes like that kind of feel like, you know, part of the creepiness is kind of the implicit message of like, you were never really free. You were never really I safe. Was like here. you're always subject to my yeah. whims. Yeah. I was always yeah. here. <sighs> so I guess my greatest fear <laughs> is a giant frog glancing over casually at me as it hops by. And then I go to try to fall asleep in the forest and I wake up and the giant frog has been in my tent the entire time and I didn't realize. And then the broadcast of your camping trip is interrupted <laughs> by an 80s newsman mask. <laughs> One of the themes that I can see here is like not realizing that you're in danger when you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, that's really, really, really scary, <laughs> which is weird because that's like it's an unconscious fear. So it's like you're by definition, you're saying like you don't know that you're afraid of the thing that's happening. So it's like a, a really weird phenomenon. I have to move my bed because I have like windows like where my head goes when I sleep. And like, I think I would sleep much better if I did not have my head near windows mm. where I have this kind of subconscious fear of like somebody who I can't see but can see yeah. me. But also my bed is too big and I don't know where else to fit it. Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I wish you'd move it. But, you know, if you don't know where to put it. I think, you know, you've talked too about like your fear of um, people under the bed Yeah, someone under my bed, someone grabbing my feet, just anybody under there was clearly bad news. And I was also very freaked out by, 
I watched it the other day and it is like so campy <laughs> and I'm amazed that it, it scared me so much as a kid. But the episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark where this family moves in next door to these kids and they decide that it's vampires mm-hmm. and there's like a nightmare the girl has where like she's sleeping with her neck exposed and a vampire is like leaning down to bite her neck. And as a consequence of that, I, I like made sure to cover my neck with blankets extremely thoroughly until I was like 12. It's Tale of the Nightly (laughs) Neighbors. I know it well. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When I was reading about like why kids are scared of the dark, you know, and and why we Mm -hmm. would be scared of something under our bed. It was very much like just the primal fear that every child has of like, dangerous predators lurking in the dark and so it has nothing to do with like anything about your child other than like this biological necessity that they are Mm -hmm. possessing to be like i'm i don't have protection right now i don't understand my primitive brain doesn't understand that i'm safe in a house my primitive brain Mm -hmm. thinks i'm in a cave and my protectors are not here you know and so it's like it makes sense and i think that that just spreads to all kinds of different things uh, even as you're an adult because like you're saying it's like you're afraid of the thing you can't see yeah yeah and we haven't even talked about your your historical fear of alien abduction but that feels (laughs) in line with all this yeah i'm terrified of aliens and we'll have to save that for another time i guess (laughs) it's just amazing how as a kid you can watch something that is like made very poorly and hastily by some guy who like never wanted to be making like stupid alien paranormal cable tv segments but it can like be more influential (laughs) to you than the greatest art (laughs) it's so true it's so true and then it makes you wonder what really is great art And that is our episode, and those are my fears. Thank you so much to Chelsea Weber-Smith, who is such a fun and generous conversation partner in all things, and I hope we got to the bottom of some stuff. I hope that next year I touch a frog. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this show for putting this episode together, for making me a less fearful person all the time. And thank you to Louise Bicken for editing. That's our episode. See you all in two weeks. <laughs>